came home to an empty house. Our relationship was over, but I never suspected my wife would steal everything we owned and leave without saying a word. To be honest, I didn't care where she was. I only wanted to find my kids. It was August 2006. We're in the middle of a brutal heat wave. I think something like 40 people died from heat stroke in New York City. Two weeks prior, I had the police serve my wife court orders so that she couldn't leave the jurisdiction under pretenses with the children again. She's no fool. Unless she wanted to go to jail, she wouldn't go far. Anyway, I was off from work the next day, so that night I decided to get drunk. Though my wife left me and took the kids kind of drunk. I grabbed a half case of 40-ounce high-alcohol gut-rot malt liquor, and by the third or fourth bottle to quote Metallica, nothing else mattered. Next thing I remember was hearing my bedroom door open. I still couldn't move, until I felt something touching my hair. When I was finally able to focus, there was my wife, absolutely beaming. She knew how badly I was hungover, and she got a kick out of it. Man, I hadn't seen her look that happy since we got engaged. She walked to the bedroom door, turned back, and blew me a kiss. Then she ran back outside. She thought she was sneaking back home to steal more of my stuff. I yelled, You forgot that I'm not working today. Sure, run out of here like a scared little bunny. As she disappeared, I heard loud footsteps coming down the stairs. Man, I couldn't believe she brought people here to beat me up. So I prepared to face whatever boy toy she convinced to do her bidding. She knows I have a sword and knife by the bed. Did she want me to kill these guys? And there were at least two of them coming. I had to get a weapon. And that's when two massive police officers entered the apartment. Why Daddy Never Cries will explore the lives surrounding daddies, their children, divorce, and silent domestic violence. We'll hear real-life horror stories from unsung heroes fighting for the ability to stay in their children's lives. We'll get those voices heard and hopefully find solutions before you lunatics burn the whole place to the ground. Hang in there, daddies. Chuck's here. Chuck Kelleher and Why Daddy Never Cries are providing his podcast as a public service. I've known Chuck for 45 years, and he's neither a lawyer nor mental health professional. He's not a doctor, nor a rogue scholar by any stretch of the imagination. Chuck is simply a guy who's lived in hell for 20 years. Once he found a way out, he drew a map to help others navigate their own way home. The views and opinions expressed by Why Daddy Never Cries, employees, or our guests are their own. Guest appearance on the program do not imply an endorsement of them, their opinions, or any entity they represent. And please... For the love of God, if you have any questions or fears about your unique circumstances, please contact a lawyer, a religious leader of your choice, or a medical professional in your area. Don't fuck this up, brothers, because we're all in this together. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Voss G2, for helping small and medium-sized businesses elevate their brand perception with design. Take your brand to the next level at VossG2.com. We'd also like to thank Harry Duran and his team at Fullcast for their amazing assistance. If you're planning a podcast and you haven't contacted Fullcast, you might as well call your show Podfade. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks, Joe. Being falsely accused of domestic violence by the once love of your life? Cops looking at you like you're a POS? Brothers, I can feel the heat rising off these speakers and we're just beginning. Breathe. Okay, let's get into it. Hey, honey, why are the cops here? If you saw a man abusing his child... At the very least, most people would report it to the authorities, if not intervene immediately. Why? Because we here at Why Daddy Never Cries 
are anti-DV warriors. That's why. And we don't put up with that shit. From the start, let's get one thing straight. On this show, we stand with good dads fighting to be in their children's lives. Good dads, people. That's because we know that good dads bear the burdens of horrible dads. Good dads are immediately seen as perpetrators in DV situations, and rarely, if ever, the victim at first glance. And if you have no idea why the police are at your door, welcome to the wonderful world of Artifice Accusations of Domestic Violence, or AADV. Here's a fun fact. The police are here for you. And I'm going to let you in on a little secret. The clock on seeing your children's ticking, my friends, and it started the moment the police entered your door. So forget innocent until proven guilty. That's out the window now. What happens from here on in is strictly up to you. Perfect segue. On today's show, like the good dads we support, we're talking about good cops. So if you're looking for a show that belittles or exonerates police officers, there's plenty of them out there. Hundreds even. This isn't one of them. This is not the show for you. Hey, I'm sorry if I can't sugarcoat this shit, but there are dads and moms being kept away from their children. Good dads. Good moms. So we don't have time for this shit. We don't have time to hold your hand on this. Because, unless you prove that you're a good dad, you're going to be seen as guilty. Alright, I don't know if I'm giving away any big industry secrets here, but if you don't know any police officers, let me educate you, okay? As with any population group, there are some cool and some assholes. Some are sweet, some are scumbags. Hopefully you get a cool, sweet person. Hopefully it's someone who actually knows something about artifice accusations of domestic violence. But like the roller coaster you're about to start riding, you don't control anything. And who comes to your home or your job to inform you that you're now a monster only knows that you're a monster, as per the person accusing you. So a bit of advice. Remain calm. Well, you're probably going to jail. April 2nd, 2005. My family and I were living in Lefferts Gardens, Brooklyn. Going to sleep one night when this 33-year-old guy gets into an argument with his ex-girlfriend and her new boyfriend. It's around 2 a.m. The dude yells something like, uh, Well, how do you like this? At his ex-girlfriend's new boyfriend and then whips out a 357 and pumps four bullets into this 27-year-old dude. This guy is lying on the ground, bleeding out. This dude goes back to his motorcycle, grabs a 9mm, returns, and shoots him right in the eye. The whole time, he's forcing his former ex-girlfriend to watch. And all this happens right outside my door. My wife, she got up to look out the window when I pulled her back into the bed. I explained to her how many stories about the innocent victim getting shot in the window, that we should stay away from windows until we know the police have everything under control. Man, outside the window you heard these footsteps running back and forth. You couldn't tell if it was one guy at the time, or a group of guys. Well, we put our baby between us, as a precaution, and we stayed down. So, why did I tell this story? Because the cops are a welcome sight when you need them. And that's what we're here to focus on. Because if we're being kept from our children, we're going to need to know how to interact with police officers. Because they're going to be the ones who can help tell that we're not criminals. We're not abusive dads. No matter how many times I've told this story, it never stops bothering me how many lives were changed forever that day just because of the jealousy of another person. It's not just the lives lost, the trauma suffered, the burden of the taxpayers of having to keep this dude in prison, but the extended families and the families that will never be. My brothers and sisters, don't go down that road, especially if you have children. They need you, 
And guess what? They need the other parent too. You can't help your children when you're doing 20 to life. Make smart decisions, people. Everyone accustomed to artifice accusations of domestic violence or AADV know this. You have no idea why the police are at your door until it's too late. You're going to have to get your act together quickly. But whenever you're speaking to a police officer, there are a few common things you can do to avoid getting a boot up your ass. Okay, when being questioned by the police, it's important to show respect. All right? You got to cooperate, but you also have to be mindful of your rights. Here's some tips on how to stand and how to behave. Stay calm. Stay composed. Don't show any aggression. Don't show any anger. You're obviously going to be angry. The police are serving you an order of protection. You're finding out for the first time that you're abusive. Breathe. I am daddy. I've got this. You want to use polite and respectful language. Address the police officers using sir and ma'am when it's appropriate. Be courteous. Don't be disrespectful. Again, you don't have to be an asshole to exercise your rights. At this point, assume the officers are just doing their job, and all they know is that someone said you're abusive. Now's the time to start showing them who you really are. You're going to want to maintain neutral body position. You're going to want to stand straight with your feet shoulder width apart. Keep your hands visible. Don't go shoving your hands in your pocket, waving them in the air. If you accidentally touch a police officer, it could be deemed as assault, and you'll be in trouble. Try to stand still. You're trying to show the officers that you're not a threat, that you're just a dad going through a divorce. You're going to want to make eye contact with the officers when you're speaking with them. Show them that you have nothing to hide. If they ask you a question and you choose to answer it, speak calmly and clearly. Stick to the facts, but also remember this, anything you say and do can and will be used against you. It's probably best if you don't know the rules, you don't know your local laws, to request to speak to an attorney. Let the officer know, I didn't know this was coming down. Obviously, I'm getting divorced. I probably should get an attorney to protect myself and my children. It's tough, man. It's tough. Again, we're going to assume the police officer right now is there to do their job the way they're supposed to. Keep saying my mantra. I am daddy. I've got this. I am daddy. I've got this. Because what other choice do my children have? When you're able, follow whatever instructions they give you. Do it appropriately. It's important to cooperate, but it's essential to understand your rights. If you believe that answering a question may incriminate you, respectfully request to speak to an attorney. You're not being rude. Just let the officer know, I'm out of my league here, sir. I'm out of my league here, ma'am. I'd like to speak to an attorney. Legally, they're supposed to let you do that. If you believe the police have treated you unfairly or they're violating your rights, write down the details. Take the officer's names, their badge numbers, and file a complaint later. Your time now is not to cause problems. Your time now is to get your head together and figure out how you're going to stay in your children's lives. Once you're deemed a threat to your children, it's a long road to getting them back into your lives. It can happen. Don't sweat it. That's why you're here. You've got this, Daddy. So what is an order of protection, also known as a restraining order? Well, it's a legal document issued by the court to protect someone. That's it. 
It's designed to provide legal protection and ensure the safety of the person who's seeking the order. The specific terms and conditions of any order of protection can vary depending on the jurisdiction and each individual case. My lawyers, they called the order of protection against me the OJ order of protection, not the stay away, because they differ greatly, and you need to understand the difference between the two. Most of the orders typically include the following provisions. They prohibit the person named in the order, also known as the respondent, might as well get used to these terms, from having any contact from the person seeking the protection, or the petitioner, or other individuals listed in the order, and that can also include your family members and your children. Listen, from personal experience, being unable to see or speak to your children is the hardest part of this marathon. However, if you don't adapt or adjust to a positive-driven mindset quickly, this short-term temporary hurdle could extend a lot longer than it needs to. Another thing is they restrict the respondent from going near the petitioner's home, workplace, or other specified location. Even if you don't have a stay-away order, stay away from your soon-to-be ex, and stay away from where they live or work. You don't need a he-said-she-said discussion in court, where not only do you have to prove you didn't do anything wrong, but now you have to justify, in our free country, why you were in a specific location at a given time. Once you've been served an order of protection, you now live by a new set of rules. Until the time of the order of protection runs out, or a judge says differently, learn those rules. The order of protection could prohibit the respondent from making any threats, harassments, or act of violence towards the petitioner. This is what my order of protection was, or the quote-unquote OJ order of protection, basically telling you, you're not allowed to do this, most of which is extreme common sense anyway. It could also grant temporary custody of your children, even your pets, to the petitioner, and establish a visitation rights for you, if it's applicable. Now, here's the kicker for all you hunters out there. An order of protection might require you to surrender any and all firearms or weapons you possessed. That even goes for police officers. And as mentioned in our episode zero, why we need, why daddy never cries, we know some hunters who went down this very dark, dark road and lost all their gear for a long, long time. And finally, if there's any other specific individual criteria that meets your unique situation, and please understand, they're all unique situations. That's why you have to get professional help. To obtain an order of protection, the petitioner usually needs to file a petition with the appropriate court and provide some kind of evidence or testimony supporting the need for the protection. The court will review the petition to see if the person is really a risk, and then they might grant the temporary order of protection. They're going to schedule a hearing, at which time you can present your arguments, they can present their arguments and evidence, and then the court decides whether to issue a final order of protection. It's important to remember that this process and the laws can vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, state to state, town to town, and possibly even officer to officer. I'm going to let you in on another little secret. They're getting the order of protection against you. It's easier for the court to issue an order of protection to cover their ass than it is to say, no, I think you're lying, and let the person go, only to find out that you were a piece of shit and you actually hurt that person. Don't sweat the order of protection. It's embarrassing. It sucks. If your ex walks around with it like a badge of honor, it's irritating. Who cares? This is all about staying in your kids' lives. You gotta keep that in the back of your mind. This is about staying in your kids' lives. And do you know what? It goes back to a question I asked you in the beginning. What would you do if you saw a man abusing a child? Well, we don't put up with DV. 
domestic violence is not acceptable in any situation. So with that being said, try thinking of it this way. Thank you, officer. I'm glad someone has taken an interest in protecting my child. Yeah, it's going to be hard. But if you can think like that, you understand that's all the teachers, the cops, the doctors are trying to do. Protect the child from a monster. You're not a monster. Not if you're listening to this podcast. But that's okay. We're going to fix that too. So how long do these damn things last? Well, the duration of an order of protection can vary, like everything else, depending on the jurisdiction and the specific circumstances of your case. In general, there are two types of orders of protection, temporary orders and final orders. Your temporary order of protection is just that. It's typically issued at the beginning of the legal process, issued during an emergency, or offered at the initial hearing. And you know what? These things have to happen. There are a lot of people out there hurting their kids. And I think it's good, actually it's fantastic, that the courts will intervene to protect the child. Unfortunately, fate has chosen us to be accountable for DV perpetrator sins. Listen, everything happens for a reason, and you can't change the past. So it's time to figure out how to make this AADV tragedy, or anything else that happens in your life from here on in, to be quite honest with you, work for you. Anyway, the second is your final order of protection. And that's issued after a full hearing where both parties presented their cases. During a final order of protection, it can also depend on jurisdiction. In some cases, they're issued for a specific period of time, such as a year. They are renewable upon request. I can tell you my ex tried to renew it every second she got. And in some cases, it might be indefinite. Order of protection might be in place until it's modified or a court terminates it. Know your order of protection. Know where you stand. And if you're guilty, do your kids a favor and get help. They'll thank you for it. You gotta get help if you're guilty. Don't try to run a scam and pretend you're not. My order of protection said the following. Now, therefore, it is hereby ordered that Chuck Kelleher observe the following conditions of behavior. Refrain from assault, stalking, harassment, menacing, reckless endangerment, disorderly conduct, intimidation, threats, or any criminal offense against his amazingly innocent bride. Do yourself the mental favor of stop referring to your soon-to-be ex as your ex and refer to her as your children's mom because you can love your children's mom because your children do. Your ex is a pain in the ass. It's important to consult the specific laws and regulations of your jurisdiction Understand to understand the exact duration of an order of protection. Keep in mind, if the terms of the order are violated, they tell the petitioner it is essential to report the violation to law enforcement authorities immediately. So don't go proving your ex right by doing anything stupid. Now we come to the soul-searching part. Here's a question, and we've kind of touched on it. If your, ch- if your children were in danger, would you want someone to intervene? Take a moment, because we all know where this is heading. And the answer is, of course we would. Because if my child was in danger, I wouldn't care who, what, where, or when as long as they were protecting my child. Why? Because protecting our children is what good parents do. Well, guess what? It's time to start looking at the police with the same welcoming glasses from now on. Because what they are thinking is that they need to protect your child from a monster. The unfortunate part is that your soon-to-be ex decided to make up lies to gain advantage over you, your children, and your schedules. Your ex decided 
to gain power and control of your schedules. The sooner you get into that frame of mind, I want anybody and everyone to protect my children. The sooner you won't lose it on every teacher, doctor, nurse. Here's a story. My child ended up in the ER due to febrile seizures. It's hereditary. My father, I think, had him. I had him. My sister had him. Two of my four children have suffered through them. It's basically when a young child, usually below the age of seven, gets a fever, the fever can quickly spike. So for argument's sake, let's say a child's fever jumps from 99 degrees to 103. The child's brain doesn't know how to handle it. It shuts down and the baby seizes. It is horrible to watch. I've witnessed one. My father, when I had mine, said it was the worst day of his life. And I can attest, it is not, not pretty. But febrile seizures are relatively harmless if they're quick, if the seizure is quick. Unfortunately, when your child is suffering, nothing ever seems quick. Well, there we were, husband and wife in the ER, only knowing our baby had a seizure. We were at the start of our divorce process. No silly goose. We weren't at the part where you act like grown-ups and plan how you will do right by your children post-marriage. We were at the let's pretend I'm scared of you part. You know, the childish way to implement a divorce proceedings. Yet there we sat, two people who hated each other, joined as powerless parents watching as their child lay lifeless on a hospital gurney. We wiped each other's tears and embraced for the eternity that it took each physician to return with a diagnosis. When the doctors left, my wife put her head on my lap and I tenderly caressed her hair until she fell asleep. She was broken and equally exhausted. She looked as if she hadn't slept in weeks. It felt as if we put all our nonsense behind us to focus for that brief moment on our child. It felt like we were a family again, although I was quickly snapped back into reality when I overheard the nurses talking. She's in a domestic violence shelter and he's the father. I looked up and half a dozen nurses and doctors, cop and hotel security were all gathered around the nurses station. Their abhorrent glances, man, I never felt as horrible as I did that moment. It was the first time, other than when the police served me, that someone thought I was an abuser, and I didn't know that about the cops until after I read the order of protection. That night they discharged our child, and the doctor told us to return in the morning for a follow-up visit. I turned and took my wife's hands. Come home tonight. Let our daughter sleep in her bed. We'll get through this if we stick together. I promise I will do whatever it takes to make your life easier. Only please, please bring our daughter home tonight. My wife responded, I can't. And when I asked why, she couldn't or wouldn't answer. I removed my hand from the stranger standing before me. How are you going to get her back to the hospital tomorrow? And that's when it hit me. The domestic violence shelter she took them to must be close to the hospital, or why would they have brought my child to that hospital? Well, my wife knows me as well as I know her, and when she realized I made the connection, she scurried over to the nurse's station like that scared little rabbit. I left. My child had had enough for one day. You have to ask yourself, what will my actions do? If I make a scene, will I get my kids? The answer is no. Okay, then don't make a scene. I can look back 20 years later and pat myself on the back. Had I played into the game my ex was well-versed in, I'm not sure how this marathon would have ended. My wife knew if she didn't return to the domestic violence shelter that night, she'd lose her domestic violence alibi. And to her, having that alibi was more important than allowing our sick child to return home. I'm saying this because I know myself, and she knew me too. I was never a threat. 
Our child could have slept better in her bed at home than at a domestic violence shelter that night. Who knows if it was the stress or the conditions at the shelter that caused the fever? I don't know. It could have been that the other kids were passing around a cold, which gave my child a fever. Don't know that either. That's because divorce, like people's lives and well-being, are just a game to some people. Well, we here at Why Daddy Never Cries can play games too. And our game is standing tall in your metaphorical hail of bullets. We will remain standing until our children realize that their daddy was always there for them, even when our ex-partners told us otherwise. So what happened right before I found out I was abusive? Could I have figured it out? Could I have somehow known this was coming down the pipe? Here's a good story. July 26, 2006, 8.18 p.m. I spent most of the night listening to my wife and her mother walking around the apartment. As soon as I'd fall asleep, they would continually ask my youngest if she wanted to knock on the door and attend Daddy's camp out. Well, their words sounded nice enough. It was their tone that scared the living hell out of me. Because they weren't asking my little one if she wanted to be with me. They were commending her for deciding not to play with me. The child was something like 13 months old. She had no idea what was going on. So I wedged a chair under the bedroom doorknob to get some sleep. Man, I can't believe I used to live like that. Anyway, the next morning I took my children to the beach at Coney Island. I wanted to get my kids out of the house without my wife melting down in front of them. So when she went to get coffee, I saw my opportunity. My mother-in-law told me I couldn't leave with my kids. <laughs> Maybe not the best response. I told her to fuck off and left with my kids. As usual, the kids and I had a great day until we got home. Because seeing my kids and me happy appeared to physically hurt, actually physically hurt, my wife and her mother. That, my friends, should have been my final warning sign because their harassment increased tenfold. A few days later, I had enough of their antagonistic mother-daughter tag team. The mother-in-law went to annoy one of her other children, so I took that opportunity to extend an olive branch to my wife. And for a split second, I felt I could bring her back from the abyss. I said, baby, we both made some mistakes. I'm ready to apologize for mine. I'm sorry for not sending out resumes consistently. I was bouncing back and forth between jobs. I'm sorry I assumed I had jobs when I didn't. I thought I had a job, stop sending out resumes, that job fell through. And during the times when I assumed I had a job, I partied. And you know what? When times are tough, no one wants to see you having a good time. Gotta keep your head in the game. That's on me. I apologize for that. I also tried to have them fix up our apartment. We had moved to a new apartment. That's a story for another show. It needed a little bit of work. She wanted a lot of work done to it. The landlord just wasn't having it. It didn't work out the way we planned. But that was out of my hands. I apologize for that too. I even told her I'd join AA, but I also needed her help to save our marriage. I told her I still loved her. Then I waited and waited for a reply. Anything. Just throw me a bone. But my wife just stared down at the carpet silently. So I asked, Are there any mistakes you made? Are you sorry about anything, baby? Slowly picking up her head, she smiled and looked me in the eyes. I smiled back and extended my hands to hers. Only she said, The only mistake I made was believing in you. And that wasn't even the final nail of our marriage's coffin. This was. Then she said, I bet you want to hit me, don't you? Fuck, man, my heart shattered. I said, what's wrong with you? She looked back at me. You want to slap me because you can't handle the fact you're a failure. Our family lives like this because of you, and you want to hit me. But you don't have the balls to stand up for yourself. What a coward. 
I looked around the apartment and said, ah, I guess your mother's here. My, my wife goes, why are you afraid of her? Does she threaten you? Hmm. I found her choice of the word threatening interesting. So I turned around and said, you know what? Forget I tried talking sense into you. And I shoved my hands so deep in my pockets that I could have untied my shoes. I took two giant steps back. You think I'm spineless and weak for not hitting you? Your family circle of violence will die with you and your pathetic mother. You know what? I should actually receive a commendation for not punching you in the face. Little uh, PSA right here, folks. That line actually showed up in my family petition. She used it against me because when taken out of context, the words you say can and will be used against you. And that's when her mom came flying around the corner. I looked at her and said, I guess she wasn't visiting your sister after all. We all know hindsight is twenty twenty, So it's obvious now that I was being set up. And I'm glad I didn't fall for the bait. I'm glad I didn't grow up in a house where hitting each other was acceptable behavior. And I'm glad my guardian angels were looking over me that day. You might have come from a place where putting your hands on each other out of anger or frustration was acceptable behavior. Well, domestic violence didn't age well, and officials and other family members now see DV as the destructive evil that it is. Understand, a person can push and push you all they want, but you will lose everything the moment you react the way they're trying to make you react. You will lose who you are as a person, and you could possibly lose access to your children. So keep your wits about you, brothers. And that's exactly what I did. I let my wife and her mother follow me around the apartment, mimic me, talk as if I wasn't in the room, whatever they wanted to do. Of course, every now and then, probably more often than not, I threw in my vocal jabs when I could. And when they finally got around to understanding that I would never lay my hands on my wife, this is what happened. You have to remember, folks, you can't control your environment. You can't control the people around you. You can, however, control how you respond to a situation. And this is a skill you need to learn and start practicing as of yesterday. When I came home to an empty house, it had been about five days since she took the kids. My children were just under three years old and 13 months at the time. Our relationship was over, but I never suspected my wife would steal everything we owned and leave without saying a word. To be honest, I didn't care where my wife was. I only wanted to find my children. For days, I had repeatedly called my wife's mobile phone without an answer or reply. New York City had been facing a sweltering heat wave with temperatures as high as 110 degrees. I think something like 40 people died of heat stroke in New York. On July 19th, I had the police serve my wife court orders so that she couldn't leave the jurisdiction under pretenses with the children. Again. My reasoning? She had left for Canada in September to visit local doctors. To save money, my wife and the kids stayed at her mother's house. Well, that I'll only be gone for two weeks trip ended on June 15th of the following year, only because I flew to Buffalo to meet them at the airport. And if they weren't at the airport, I was sending the Canadian Mounties to her mother's house. However, before I left New York City, I sent my children the following email at 9.51 a.m. in the morning. I'm going to get you. Your mom never brought you back, so I'm leaving to get you guys. I don't know why I'm emailing you, but I felt I had to tell someone. I love you guys. I'll see you soon. I didn't want it to come to this, but I won't be kept from your lives. XOXO, Daddy. The moment I brought my children home, I overheard my wife telling her mother that she's planning on taking my little ones back to Canada the next day. I worked a lot of hours with a two-plus-hour commute each way. 
I couldn't just sit in the apartment watching to ensure that my kids weren't kidnapped. Excuse me, I'm sorry. I mean, removed from the jurisdiction without my knowledge. Because apparently in 2006, only fathers kidnap kids. Anyway, has the playing field become a little more level since 2006? Sure. But everything is subject to the people involved. And you need to focus on how you can stay active in your children's lives. Good cop, bad cop, good judge, bad judge, good ex, bad ex. Focus here is on how you stay in your kids' lives. So, I started calling and emailing all her friends until my wife finally had the common courtesy to call me back. Only she left me a voicemail when she knew I was working and couldn't answer the phone. She said, I'm in the jurisdiction, not breaking any laws, the kids are safe, I'll see you in court. Because I had already served her, we already had a court date scheduled for August 9th. And my wife's no fool. Unless she wanted to go to jail, she wouldn't have gone far. It was almost midnight on August 2nd. I mean, I had to place myself for at least a week, right? Court's not till the 9th, it's the 2nd. I was actually off from work the next day, so that night I decided to get drunk. The, my wife left me and took the kids kind of drunk. Oh baby, I grabbed a half case of 40 ounce high alcohol gut rot malt liquor. At the time, it was the best $24 mind erasing investment I could think of or afford in Crown Heights. By the third or fourth bottle, to quote Metallica, nothing else mattered. The next thing I remember was hearing my bedroom door open. I still couldn't move until I felt something touching my hair. When I cracked my eyes open, it was already morning. At least I was on my own bed, albeit I was still fully dressed. When I could finally focus, I looked up and there was my wife. She was absolutely beaming. She knew how badly I was hungover and man did she get a kick out of it. I haven't seen her look that happy since we got engaged. Well, if I had talked, I would have puked. But my wife never said a word. She just stood there smiling, watching me suffer. She walked to the bedroom door, turned her back, and blew me a kiss. When I was finally able to stand, she darted out of the bedroom, straight up the stairs. Man, she ran as if the devil himself was chasing her. She thought she was sneaking back into the house to steal my stuff. I yelled, You forgot that I'm not working today. Sure, run out of here like a scared little bunny. She ran out, and I forced myself to the living room. Oh man, I was hurting. I couldn't let her find whatever she's searching for. The only reason I got my children back from Canada was because my wife left something in New York. When I made it to the center of the room, I heard loud footsteps coming down the stairs, and it wasn't my wife returning. I could not believe she brought people here to beat me up. So I prepared to face whatever boy toy she convinced to do her bidding. She knows I keep a sword and knife by my bed. Did she want me to kill these guys? And there were at least two of them coming. Well, as the heavy footsteps approached... I was so hungover, an infant could have annihilated me. And this guy was talking to another man. I'm in a basement apartment. They had me cornered. I could never make it back to the bedroom to arm myself. But if I could get to the doorway, I could at least fight them one at a time. I quickly scanned the debris left over from my wife's hasty exit because I had to find a weapon. My only hope would be to break one or more of last night's bottles. Anyway, there were enough empty 40s scattered everywhere from last night's pity party. I grabbed a half-empty bottle to crack the first guy in the head as soon as they walked through that door. At least I'll take out one of those bastards. I got ready, set, and that's when two massive police officers entered the apartment. Could you imagine if I hadn't made it to the living room before I heard them coming downstairs? I would have had a knife in one hand and a sword in the other. And my wife knew this, because frequently we discussed what to do in case of a home invasion. Now was she trying to have me served, or trying to have me killed? 
In hindsight, I really wish I had thrown away that half case of empty 40-ounce bottles instead of peppering the living room with them. Standing there hungover, a half a bottle of piss beer in my hand at 9am or whatever time it was, in those, in those officers' eyes, I put the ass in class. My brothers, these are just a couple of stories leading up to my divorce. Like most men, I've got hundreds of them. My situation was and still is relentless. The issues with my ex haven't improved over the last 15 years, and this is despite everyone saying she has to change sometime. Pick and choose your battles, my friends. Pick and choose the ones with their family, with the schools, with anyone who wrongs you. One example, like did she forget we kept weapons by the bed? Or was she legitimately trying to perform murder by cop? The truth is, it doesn't matter. The only things we can control is how we react to a situation. That's why I ended the story with the regret of not throwing away the empties. Because an almost abandoned looking apartment with 12 plus or minus empty 40 ounce bottles still standing where I took my last sip, because these police officers were not given the opportunity to say that the house looks safe for my children. That was in my control. Sure, she made it look abandoned, but I made it look like a flop house. That's on me, because I am daddy. I've got this. You have to take accountability for what you've done to hurt your situation, instead of pointing the finger at how hard your ex has made it for you. Quick message before I have to run. My little guy is in the hospital, and I need to be there with him. To respect his privacy, we'll leave it that he'll be fine, and hopefully he'll be discharged before the 4th of July holiday. In learning about podcasts, I came across Larry Hagner's show, The Dad Edge, and I've been hooked ever since. I don't know this dude. I don't have any skin in the game or a stake in his show, but the show has helped me be a better husband and a better father, and I highly recommend it to anyone who's looking for self-improvement in those departments. I made one huge mistake over these last 20 years. I always focused on the nonsense when I was with my kids. I'd constantly respond to emails and texts from my ex, which in hindsight, usually came during my access time. Together, we're fighting this fight to keep you in your children's lives, to get you back into your children's lives. To put this show in perspective, as I was editing, my oldest called me and FaceTimed me just to say hello. At age 11, she told me she never wanted to see me again. That said, we must take time daily to focus on making ourselves better men. All right, Nick, I got to bounce. We must get our voices out there. Send us your stories to Why Daddy Never Cries at Gmail or Why Daddy Never Cries on Facebook. Remember, this is a daily and sometimes hourly struggle. So follow us on Daddy Never Cries at Twitter and Why Daddy Never Cries on Instagram and let your voice be heard. Let's end the fatherless children's syndrome that's plaguing this world. Today on My Daddy Never Cries, you learned about how to position your body when the police come knocking. Remember to focus on your children because your goal is to be active in their lives. That's the most important thing. We learned about orders of protection and how you now live under a new set of laws. Learn them, or if you need to, have someone explain them to you. You've got this, Daddy. Our next show, Alimony and Cash? Pull your head out of your ass, brother. We're going to dive into the wonderful world of alimony, maintenance, child support, Call it what you will, it's coming out of your pocket, but make sure you remember, it's for your children, whether they use it for them or not. When life gave me lemons, I said to hell with a glass. I'm making an international lemonade franchise. So until next time, take a deep breath. You've got this, Daddy. So it's no man.